0: You know, I talk about how instead of following your career path, it's so important to follow your lit path, a path that absolutely lights you up and talk about the joy in the the ways to yay. And I think that's (laughs) it. And I was 22 years old when I was like, wow, the mystery of life is that you never know when it's going to end, you know, and the time was in that moment to make it count and that every moment from that day forward had to count. Fearlessness to me is in the absence of fear, but it's taking action in the face of fear. I think we all want to experience magic, and the only way to do that is if you step out of your comfort zone into a space of the unknown, and what, what comes with that is self-doubt, of course. And I think when you have that, you grow from it. When you have self-doubt, when, you, when you're questioning yourself, when you're questioning your abilities, when you're questioning everything, like the more you question, the more you grow.
1: Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Hello, beautiful people. I don't even know how we are at episode 40. How did that happen? It has been such a blast. So thank you so, so much for following along and making it such an absolute pleasure. I'm so lucky that today's guest squeezed me in during her recent visit to Australia for the amazing Business Chicks event, Nine to Thrive, that was in Sydney a couple of weeks ago. Mickey Agrawal is the true definition of a game changer, taking on some of society's most taboo and unglamorous areas of life and shifting the way we think about and experience them. Born in Montreal and moving to the US with her twin for college and then a corporate career in investment banking, Mickey experienced a transformative turning point in her life after a sliding doors experience on 9-11 and decided that life was too short not to live your dreams, so she left banking to pursue three of them, start a business, play sport professionally and work on films. She excelled in all three of them, which you will hear about in the show, and yet none of those pursuits are what really lit her trailblazing fire. It is the business she co-founded in 2011, Thinks, that may ring more of a bell for you and that really allowed her to create change where it is most needed, developing antimicrobial, moisture-wicking, absorbent and leak-resistant underwear. If it weren't challenge enough to make period pants exciting, her latest venture is tushy, shedding light on the outdatedness and expense of toilet paper and the superior hygiene, convenience and sustainability of the bidet. She is one of the most fascinating people I've been lucky enough to speak to and I was totally captivated by everything she had to say. There's so much more I wanted to ask but she's written several books so I'll pop links to those in at the end as I'm sure you will want more just as I did. I hope you enjoy our chat and i see you your yay. Mickey, thank you so much for joining me. Yes, so happy to be here. I'm so glad I caught you at the tail end of your Aussie visit. How have you found it?
0: Oh my god, I'm I'm like under the weather right now because I've been going so hard. We went to the Dane rainforest for a couple of days, stayed in the middle of the, literally the middle of the rainforest for a night and to the most incredible rain I've ever experienced in my life. A gigantic tree like literally fell like timber, like right behind (laughs) us. It was like crazy. And we did yoga in the middle of the forest. And then we spent the last two days, um, on the ocean at the, um, and just going to the Great Barrier Reef and oh. snorkeling and, and uh, my husband scuba dived and it was just like such a magic. We saw it. We literally swam with sharks. It was crazy. <gasps>
1: Amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. I may or may
0: not have jumped onto my husband's back when I saw him. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. It was such a great – And then, of course, Sydney and, and he did all this, the Sydney things, went to a ballet um, at the Sydney Opera House and went to the zoo with our son, who's almost two, and he loved it. Oh, um, little
1: hero's here
0: with you. Yeah, yeah, our son's here, and um, it's been just a magical. I mean, I, when you're two, like, you'll remember anything, but we, because we have lots of pictures, maybe he'll be, like, The faint memory of it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think travel is so good for the soul. And even if he's not aware of it, I'm sure he he got some benefits from the the Aussie air. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the first segment of the podcast is called Way TA, which is pretty much just the way that you ended up in the life that you're living right now. And I love to use this part as a demonstration and reminder to everyone that People's pathways are never linear, even though it sometimes seems like an overnight success. It's always been a really long journey from the beginning to to end up in a life that you love. Uh But before we get started, particularly for people like you who have been in the media, have been incredibly successful, and it can be quite overwhelming and intimidating for the average Joe, I love to sort of break the ice with the same question for every guest, which is what is the most down to earth thing about you?
0: Oh, um, it's so funny. (laughs) I don't see myself anything other than just like, you know, like someone who doesn't know anything about anything.
1: (laughs) uh That is definitely not how we see you (laughs) so
0: so that's probably the most downer i mean like yeah i think for me i mean i'm just doing my best like everyone else and and you know really figuring out what i want to leave behind when i pass pass on and i think it's just humbling even just thinking about you know what what that you know and that legacy because legacy is you know like we don't need to leave a legacy but it's just more like i do want to leave the world a better place then I, you know, came into it, and I want to leave it better for my child, and. I'm going to do everything I can to to make that so. And so I think that's it. That's the most important thing.
1: Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I can imagine also a lot of people who do come on the show are mothers. And if they weren't down to earth before that, they're like motherhood, nappies and poo yeah. and vomit. Oh, like yeah. it's <laughs> very humbling. Oh, yeah.
0: Pooping all day long. Yeah, you're just talking and dealing with poop 24-7.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you have gone on to do just Obviously, what you just said, you are leaving an incredible legacy and doing incredibly impactful and amazing things in the world that I can't wait to get into. But I want to start all the way back at the beginning. So, very yeah. young Mickey, uh-huh. who was born in Montreal, a Canadian, yes, but Japanese and Indian in your heritage, and also a twin, which yeah, I thought was really cool.
0: Twins,
1: pretty crazy. <laughs> so cool. So, what were you like when you were younger? You know, were you the kind of entrepreneurial? disruptive kind of did you have that disruptive flair really early and were you like the lemonade stand kind of kid or yeah you know? I,
0: yeah I think we were just we were troublemakers just because we didn't like listening to rules and and, and those kinds of we grew up with very a pretty strict Indian father and a Japanese mother and tiger (laughs) parents. And, um, you know, they really set the tone for us in our lives. I think for, you know, what we really saw, what we really saw in them is that they came to America without any family, without any resources, without any connections. And whenever they saw something wrong in the community or something that was missing in the community, they didn't complain about it. They didn't complain the fact they didn't have resources or connections or capital to you know figure it out they just figured it out and they just did it so like growing up for example you know there was no gifted children's summer camp and you know they really wanted to put us in a gifted children's summer camp where there were sports in the afternoons but there was also science and math in the mornings and so they they just my mom created it from you know having a, with a thick Japanese accent in Montreal Canada. <laughs> you know uh you know it's just incredible to watch and it ran for 15 plus years with you know hundreds of kids and it really shifted you know the culture in in that way you know in in the in the city where where we got to go to something that my 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 mom really created and really long time. And then um, also when we were in elementary school, you know, my parents recognized that electronics was going to be the future. You know, Commodore 64 was the first computer way to put the cassette tape, you know, <laughs> into the computer, and it was a whole, you had to wait 30 minutes for like a game to load and my cassette tape. And it was just like a, a, a thing. And my parents were just like, oh yeah, electronics are going to be the future. And we want children to learn about electronics. And there was no course or anything for children to learn about how Electronics works like the transistors, resistors, switches, diodes. You know, LED lights. Like, how do all those things work? And so, without any experience in starting any business, they created this really adorable company called Tomorrow's Professionals, which taught kids how to, you know, um, make little breadboards that had, you know, lights that flash and using a switch and how to make a burglar alarm and how to make all these really fun things starting from the basics of the, of the breadboard with the diodes and with the resistors, transistors, all those things. And, and it really, and then they started selling these all around the country. And so we just kind of watched them our whole lives, just seeing them resolve problems in society and in the world. And that, that came from that, you know, I think also growing up, we never had like birthday party, like regular birthday parties, people just come and hang out and, and not do anything. My parents, Want to play really smart games? (laughs) Then you have to like come to our parties knowing your current events for the whole year. (laughs) When we were five years old, you know, we had a game. My parents made up a game called Yes No, and you had these flags. All the kids were given flags: a yes flag and a no flag. And they would be like, "Is the president of China this person? Yes or no?" And then you have to be like, you know, put up your flag. And it was such a competition of like intellect, um, from the point we're like four years old all the way to we're eighteen, where we had our last party. That was like that, you know. We just, I think they just grew up really creative and really helping us spark our creative creativity and, and I owe so much to their imagination and sort resourcefulness.
1: Oh my gosh. I'm in love with your parents. That's an amazing, amazing story. Yeah. And it, I can see that that's obviously the rest of your story has kind of unfolded with that influence of seeing a gap and just not hesitating to just go, okay, I'm just going to close it now. Yeah. And
0: I, I think also having a twin sister and a third sister is 11 months older, our older sister is 11 months older. We were, we were all three of us born in one year. And and I think that when you have siblings so close in age, especially an identical twin, I really felt like I always had someone clapping, clapping for me and clapping with me and being like, Oh, I love that idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go do it. Go do it. Let's go do it. <laughs> you know, and you just had someone, you know, in, in, in a little mini tribe. From the moment, you know, we were born, I think that was, I felt very lucky to have, you know, that that sort of compadre, you know, with me yeah. at all times. And so I think that that really helped shape our sort of level of, you know, ability to go and do weird things without caring if people said anything. We knew we always had one person who, who liked what we did. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's so good. It's so interesting. I always say, you know, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And yeah. I think if you do have even just one person around you who's constantly believing in what you do, it really counteracts any other person's view and it just takes one voice in the ear saying it's a great idea and then that's all you need that's right that's right so then you studied at Cornell and did business and communication yeah and at that stage you know I always find it really interesting when people choose their studies you're kind of so young but you're pushed into deciding what you want to set yourself up for, did you think that you would start your own business or were you doing it because you thought it would be, you know, a good broad thing to study and and that would set you up for whatever you wanted to do? Did you have any idea kind of what would come next?
0: No, I, I played soccer all four years in college. I played for my entire life and I went to, I went to university with a, you know, D1 like scholarship. And my sister and I kind of just went day by day. <laughs> and then after, we, we, you know, when it came to our senior year time, we had to decide what we were going to do with our lives after college was over. It was so interesting because we were we were business communication, but because we weren't finance majors, only the finance majors really got interviews with the top investment banks. And we, my sister and I were like, all right, we have huge student loan debts. We want to move to New York City. We want to have a big salary. We, so we found out that the, like the highest paying job was investment banking. And we had no clue what investment banking was, we had no idea (laughs) what finance we didn't even know how to like look at a spreadsheet. We didn't know how to do anything with numbers. Like we were I mean, we were good at math, but there was we never put together a financial model or anything like that. And it was interesting because when you at Cornell, when I was there, they would hold these like first come, first serve interviews with with all the non-finance majors and it was like people were sleeping outside like waiting for like like literally sleeping <gasps> for like a tickets to a concert and, and but instead it was like for a job and my sister and I were like fuck it let's just go and so we went and we stood in line and we, we got them that like, got there the night before we brought our pillows and we brought our like little suits in a bag and then like and the sun came up, we were like one of the first few in line to get an interview. And and it was funny because my twin sister went first to the all the interviews. It was like 10 interviews with all the top investment banks in a row. And then I went right after her. And why it was kind of funny was because they were like, wait, didn't we just see you? Twins, <laughs> And so they remembered us. And I think that was the most important thing was they remembered us. And so we just got we kind of got into all the final rounds of, of, of the of the interviews, not because we were smarter than anyone else, but because we were, <laughs> we were like two, you know? <laughs> so it was kind of like a series of little, you know, moments of, of, of I guess, luck, but also, you know, really like we, we we chose to sleep outside, you know, and get there first. Yeah. <laughs> and so we got so I got a job at Deutsche Bank and my sister got a job at CIBC World Markets, both in real estate investment banking after nine rounds of interviews. And we somehow <gasps> stayed through it. And we were one of the only like non-finance... People who got in? They always take some kind of liberal arts people um, and communications majors with business minors, like like we were just to kind of shake things up a little bit at the bank and not just have one just only single-minded type of people. Yeah. And so we we got those jobs and you know, we we were we, we moved to New York. We did training in July and August, and then September, really the first week in September is when we officially moved into our, our homes in Brooklyn and in those September. Of 2001 right before 9-11 and two world trade center was our subway stop every single morning oh my gosh and it was crazy we were 22 years old and so 9-11 happened you know 700 people at girlfriend's office died she worked at two world trade center on that day, and on that day, two be- two people in my office died, oh, and God. I just moved to New York, and it was one of those insane, insane, insane stories. And I and it was the first and only day in my life that I slept through my alarm clock. Oh and to my day, gosh! Yeah, to this day, to this day, it's the only day in my life that I slept through my alarm clock. <sighs> Yeah, 9-11, and I was supposed to be there.
1: <laughs> I've got goosebumps. That's insane.
0: Yeah, it was insane. And I remember waking up, and I was, like, freaking out because I just started my investment banking job, prestigious job, and it was 10 o'clock in the morning, and I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I was freaking out, and I was trying to call a car service to, like, get me to work, and no, all the lines were busy, and I couldn't understand what the hell was going on because I didn't out of context, you're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And so it just kind of, you know, it it all unfolded where I checked my my email finally hundreds of messages. And then I saw, you know, hundreds of missed calls. It was crazy. And, you know, and then that was sort of the moment in my life. And I was 22 years old when I was like, wow, the mystery of life is that you never know when it's going to end, you know, and the time was in that moment to make it count. And that every moment from that day forward had to count. And so I wrote down three things I want to do with my life. And the first was to play soccer professionally, <laughs> why not? <laughs> um, the second was to make movies, and the third was to start a business. And I spent, you know, the next little while, I found out the New York Magic were holding soccer tryouts, and I made the team, made a starting lineup, fast forward to all the, you know, it was two and a half months of rigorous, tr- you know, trying out against all these top D1 athletes, and made the team, made the starting lineup, and then first game of the season with an eight meet minutes of my professional career as I assist right before I assisted a goal I tore my ACL oh no yeah it was crazy and so then I went I'd stay in the investment bank for another year to get the best health insurance <laughs> <laughs> you know physical therapy and then went out again the following year I made the team again the following year I made the starting lineup again and then tore my other ACL in a semi-final game
1: oh my gosh I did read that you did both I didn't know there were like different times though yeah
0: yeah it was twice oh that's yeah. so devastating and I've done it third time since but um <laughs> And I was like, all right, this is not my calling. And so I, the second thing on my list was to make movies and I dusted off my film resume for like a couple of years in my college summers working in LA for the guys who produced Dumb and Dumber and Kingpin and all these funny movies. And then, um, so I just kind of got a job as an associate producer at a production company in New York. And I just was like, oh, I'm done with this nine to five thing. I'm going to go and just like freelance. You know, freelancing is a hard thing You have to chase job after job after job and, you know, just be on sets for like. 18 hours a day on sets of commercials and music videos. And that was when the ding, ding, ding idea for the first business hit. And it was <laughs> based out of a stomachache. I would just eat. There's these on, on sets of commercials and music videos and all films There are these tables called the craft service table, where you basically have these like all this free food, snacks and like, you know, just snacks and snacks and snacks. You can just eat for free. And since Free was my favorite price, <laughs> <laughs> isn't it? Everyone's. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I just would eat that all day long. I'm like, oh, I'm an immigrant. I've got like a you know, big student loan debt. I'm just gonna eat this free food, and that's my meals. And I just kept going home with awful stomach aches, and I would just be itchy, and I'd have like a breakout, and it was just like awful. And I finally was like, enough is enough. And I finally researched it, and I was like, oh my god. And I discovered the massive processed food industry, specifically in America, where the, you know they're putting you know hormones and pesticides and antibiotics and you know, preservatives and all the food and it was making people completely intolerant to food. And I, and I started thinking about the foods that I had given up and pizza was one of them. And so and I, I researched the pizza category and I was like, wow, pizza is a $32 billion industry. And, 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 you know, Americans eat a hundred acres of pizza every single day. And so people, we love pizza. And so, <laughs> so yeah. And so I kind of, that was the first idea and spent the next year like working my butt off trying to raise money and build the restaurant and I was dating an architect at the time thank god and I had a friend who was a designer <laughs> and we all kind of cobbled cobbled the you know the this restaurant together and and opened it in 2005 and
1: so that was wild um, right and you, you ended yeah. up with three venues and it's gluten-free pizza is that right
0: yeah so now there's now, yeah it was originally called slice oh. and my first book do cool shit shares the whole story of high-built slice now now called Wild rebrand into wild and now there's yeah there's a fourth location just opened up in guatemala <laughs> and um, i know kind of random but we have like these restaurant groups in central america who are really excited about the gluten-free movement sin gluten movement <laughs> oh my um, gosh
1: i literally got to this point in your story and just was like i i feel like one of the things i really try to do with this podcast because it's about finding your joy is to show that there's so many different ways you can find your joy. So many different life structures, you know, there's a lot of glamour and glitz around people who start businesses, but you can also find your joy in a job or as a sports person or as a freelancer. Mm -hmm. And I got to this point before even the thing that I'd actually known you for and was like, you've already ticked off all of those structures in all different industries, and that's like a lifetime in itself. I mean, how amazing. Like, what? What?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I think just, you just kind of trial and error, right? You kind of like are like, oh, yeah, I'm not cut out for this, or I'm not cut out for that. I'm going to try freelance. I'm going to try the nine to five. I'm going to try the banking job, the prestigious thing. I'm going to try the working in a restaurant thing. I'm going to do, you know, you kind of have to kind of try everything, and it's okay to jump around. That's why I talk about a lot. My my newest book, "Disrupt Her," which just came out this past January, and in "Disrupt Her," I talk about how, you know, we we're sort of like conditioned to have to follow this career path, and and who who dictates what a career path is? I mean, I think, you know, there's certainly paths like being a doctor and being a lawyer, being like, you know, certain professions where you need to have the expertise. Like, I would definitely would not want to have somebody operating on me who was just, <laughs> you know, like worked in finance. And, you know, <laughs> I don't want that, but. Outside of that, you know, and a couple of other professions, you can kind of do whatever you want. And even if you are a doctor and you're like, you know what, I don't want to do a doctor thing anymore. I want to go try my hand at something else, becoming an actor or whatever. That's okay. Like life is short. It's long, but it's also short and it's over like a flash in the pan and You know, I talk about how instead of following your career path, it's so important to follow your lit path, a path that absolutely lights you up. And talk about the joy in the the ways to yay. And I think that's it. (laughs) If you talk about, I'm just going to stay in my safe job because it makes my family proud. And because I've spent the last four years going to law school, or I spent the last seven years in medical school, and I spent this this amount of time and that amount of time, and I'm, I'm doing it for the prestige and for like the namesake and for, you know, people to like think I'm cool. But if I'm not happy, then what the fuck's the point? You know, it's like it's just there's just it's completely pointless. Absolutely. And so for me, I'm just like oh, I'm going to try my hand at this. Yep, that didn't okay, but I <laughs> that didn't work out. But I really like the fact that I, I learned about finance, investment banking. Like I was definitely not a good banker, but I definitely like the fact that I got to learn about numbers and how to put together a financial model and how to talk the talk. When it came down the road, when it came to raising money for my businesses, I could people were like, oh, you worked in finance. Okay. Checked off that. Box <laughs> yeah. And then the restaurant experience and working in the film business, like the film business taught me so much about project management, how to get product done on time and how to hire people and get people, you know, on set on time and how to shoot and, 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 you know, get a, a, the, the, you know, everything in the can and get it edited and get it back to the client on time. Like I learned so much around that, you know, in the restaurant business, I learned so much about Working my ass off, just like seven days a week for seven straight years. You know, like I'm, you know, my partner just crushes it as a restaurateur, but like I did, I tried doing it myself for seven straight years. You know, seven days a week, just thankless, thankless, thankless hours. And um, so I learned just the the just insane, insane work ethic. And I also learned like when you deal with hangry customers, what that's like. You know, <laughs> how to deal with just putting a product out that's consistent and you know, just all of that. And, um, I think when you look, you know, Steve Jobs talked about how you can't, you can't connect the, top, the dots looking forward, but you can absolutely connect the dots looking backwards. And I always think about my history and, and, and even if they seem like they're a different industry and completely like weird wonky trail, I can absolutely connect the dots of skill sets looking back. And I'm so grateful for the path that I've, you know, that I've, that I've made for myself, even if it's not sort of standard.
1: Oh my gosh, that resonates so strongly with me. You are, Pretty much my podcast, In a Human walking around (laughs) because I mean I was the same I did here a law degree because I did a double degree as well similar to you like not liberal arts but I did arts instead of commerce and wasn't a finance major either um, and went into corporate law and similar experience like I'd studied seven years for it I got there and I was like it's my whole creative side is getting stifled it's not really me and life is absolutely too short to not go and find your joy and pursue it and I think the other thing is is that people often ask like do you regret spending that much time of your life on a career that you didn't end up in and absolutely not I yeah. think it is they're all stepping stones it's not that anything goes wrong and you regret it it's that it goes wrong and you're grateful to have tried something and eliminated something and then and you have
0: a lawyer of a lawyer you could look at fine print without being scared of it you know like, totally you can, like do business in a way that really equips you like what of, one of uh, my, my co-founder of my most recent company called Tushy by the way do not go to Tushy.com it's a very graphic porn site <laughs> go to com. it's a modern affordable bidet that easily puts on your toilet we'll talk about that in a second but I'm um, bringing the to America and to the world, and and getting ourselves outside of the out of the you know barbaric you know 1800s and into the 20th century, <laughs> with water and not dry paper to properly clean yourself <laughs> down there. Um, but my partner, you know, my, my co-founder, um, you know, was a lawyer for for many years, for you know five, six, seven years, practicing lawyer. And then, you know, when he made the big jump to come and run operations at Tushy, I mean, his legal skills come in handy every single day. And, you know, we're so lucky to have him because of that skill set and because he's sort of our, you know, our pseudo general counsel at the same time. And it just makes such a huge difference for a startup to save that kind of money on a lawyer. So it's, it's been incredible. Um, yeah,
1: he was, he was from um, another, a big, was that a big tech company? Was he from
0: Amazon? That was my that's my Amazon? CEO. Yeah, my oh, CEO different. Okay. Who's amazing as well. He he really built helped build Audible Studios. He was co founder of Audible Studios and then built Amazon. Right. Yeah, and joined Amazon for ten years. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I definitely want to come back to um, the piece around with all this agility and change and new industries, and particularly moving to something we haven't kind of studied for for this long, um, yeah. and and you didn't have background in. I definitely want to come back to the challenge of like the self-doubt and the backing and, and just burnout and all that kind of stuff. But before that, I just want to finish the timeline of the story because yeah. the next bit is like the really exciting shit that I, I just get so excited reading about. So <laughs> it was 2011 when Thinks was born, which was, you know, the first of the hugely disruptive game changing taboo breaking businesses of many that you have since headed up and brought mm. into life into the world. Um, and this was with your twin and a friend, is that right?
0: And- yes, that's correct. And we, and we really, we started working on it in 2011 in that we started really building the technology and creating the, creating the technology and the underwear and like, and, and, and putting the underwear together and making sure that it was moisture antimicrobial and leak proof and, um, and all that and absorbent and, um, and a product that looked and felt like beautiful and sexy and something that we want to wear ourselves. Um, And so it took almost four years to actually create the product itself. So we really launched it quietly in 2014 and really had our grand launch in 2015, but um, started working on it like thoroughly in 2011. Absolutely.
1: Oh my gosh. So tell us about the product. Now, it's something that I think is definitely taboo still in society. There's a lot of, not so much stigma, but it's just not really, we don't talk about our periods that much. It's still a little bit like not, you know, it's awkward and it's something that, you know, half the universe has to deal with. Mm-hmm. Every man
0: and woman is you know are here because of that important time of the month Like we would not be we would not be born if it wasn't for the period you in know, our periods and and the fact that that important you know blood really fed us in utero and and kept us kept us alive and I think the fact that it stigmatizes is absolutely laughable and and it's been it's just always been part of the sort of this you know this this control thing between between men and women and I think that once Everyone, including men, are, are liberated from this sort of patriarchal preconditioning. We'll be able to all recognize and, and really celebrate the fact that, that you know, that we, that we spend one week a month, you know, going through, uh, you know, our periods and, and having to make that, that big, messy sort of, you know, not, not sacrifice, but real, it is, you know, um, to, to, to make sure that the species continues. And I think that instead of it being something where men are like, oh, why are you talking about that? And women hiding, <laughs> hiding the tampon underneath their sleeve and sliding, you know, to the bathroom quietly. It's more like, Hey, can I help you? Can I support you? Can I be there for you? What can I do for you? And and really be a champion for one another when, when, you know, women are on their period. And I think that as men are liberated from the patriarchy too, because men are absolutely victims of it as well. I mean, the patriarchy was formed really by just a select few power hungry men who wanted to control and dominate. And the rest of the men had to kind of get in line and fight with them and for them, and so most men also are, you know, can't really, you know, show emotions and, 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 and you know, it's, it's actually more acceptable in, in society for men to be violent than to be emotional. And that's, that's true. And so for us to really honor the fact that we're all stuck in this patriarchal preconditioning men and women, that, you know, if we allow men to, to really show emotions and we allow men to be part of the conversation around our periods and what we go through, what we feel then they'll be more likely to be empath- empathetic towards us too, and so I think we just have to have empathy towards one another because men aren't robots either. We can't expect them to not have emotions in the same way that we are emotional beings as women, and we have our periods and our cycles really determine our where 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 we are emotionally. It's absolutely true. It's mm. all linked, and all interconnected. And the four phases of our, menstru- of our menstrual cycle really are you know and our, our moods go hand in hand. You know, you, you think about if there's a follicular phase, there's the menstrual phase, there's a luteal phase, and then there's the ovulatory phase and of our periods. And during all those those parts of our cycle, we we feel different things. Like during our ovulatory phase, that's when we're, we should be public speaking and going and pitching and going and asking guys out and going and being like really sort of more, more sort of strong-willed, you know, and, and during our, our menstrual phase when we should be really introspective and really kind of you know if, you know just doing more you know self work and it's it's really sh- proven that if if women really understand what their what their cycles are or what they look like then then, then we could be even more successful mm. and um, I, I
1: love that you have really strong views on things that are you know not really talked about and your solution has been to literally just break down the barriers and come out with a company in an area that you would not think could experience exponential growth just because periods are not really an area where you see that kind of growth and yet you've been able to do that, which is absolutely incredible.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it, yeah, it was it was a, it was a huge challenge at the beginning. No investors wanted to invest. We spent a year trying to raise money. Nobody invested. So we had to do a Kickstarter campaign. You know, we, we tried to go to press. No press wanted to talk about it. They would call me uncouth and they would call me like all these names saying that I was just not – Oh, okay, talking about this stuff. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So it was really, it was really, it was so challenging in the beginning. And I think when it really came down to it was, you know, creating an excellent product, an excellent brand, the right accessible language, the right mm. aesthetic. And all of those coming together can really shift a conversation because you can't just be like, hey, let's talk about periods now. Cause that just wouldn't that just wouldn't work. Like, but doing it through an innovation, doing it through a disruptive innovation, and a product that really truly works, and one that women truly feel liberated by, and you know, a brand that's so aesthetically beautiful that you can't deny its beauty, and one that's you know, language, whose language is so accessible and relatable that you can't, you feel like you're texting your best friend, and you're like, oh, this feels so relatable. It feels like you're talking to me. It's not like technical or clinical or me- medical or too academic. It feels really I feel really like, you know, like you're talking to my, you're talking to me. And I think once you combine all those things, um, you really can shift culture. And then you can include having the tough conversations around, you know, why are periods stigmatized and all that. But you start with an excellent product.
1: Yeah. So tell us about the actual product. So if anyone who hasn't heard of Thinks, it's a hygiene product, a women's hygiene product that it's, underwear products that are antimicrobial moisture wicking absorbent and leak resistant that kind of take the place of your traditional female hygiene products for when you've got your period yeah i mean so
0: we also say it's like a, it's like your backup or you know it's like your best friend to your tampons like oftentimes you're very very heavy in your first day or two or two or three of your period especially me and so i know i can't just wear a tampon because i'm always leaking through them and so having a pair of underwear that backs you up is really important And on your medium and light days, you wear the underwear by itself without putting anything inside your vagina because when you put stuff in your vagina on your medium and light days and it's kind of dry, it actually causes micro abrasions inside your vaginal canal. It's the most sensitive part of your body. And that's what can really introduce bacteria. And that's what causes toxic shock syndrome. When you're trying to like shove a tampon into a dry, you know, you know, canal that doesn't have a lot of blood that's lubricating it, that that's what really causes the infections and, and, and potential toxic shock syndrome. And so what we're saying is, on your heavy days, we suggest you use the tampon, you know, or, you know, and, and use the underwear as backup. And your medium and light days you wear the underwear by itself. And you just wash them out and you hang dry and they're perfectly fine. And they last for two years if you take care of them properly or longer. Oh, wow. So, and they're
1: beautiful. Like the actual aesthetic of the products, it's not like you think, I mean, hearing that they're really functional, you'd kind of expect them to be a bit granny panty kind of vibe. Yeah, and it. they are not at all. Like,
0: <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, my, my litmus test for this was I went to, so I go to Burning Man every year and, mean you know, a Burning Man's this big festival in the middle of the desert of Nevada and and people wear just epic costumes. And last year and the year before and the year before that, I mean the number of people who would just run up to me who are just wearing their Thinks underwear as their like sexy costume. <laughs> 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 Amazing and just proved to me that wow, okay, like we could take a period underwear product and that's their sexy baseline, like that feels really good, yeah.
1: yeah. Oh my god, and yeah. I mean, you've also done like in the marketing, it's so cute the way like Thinks has like a quarter of a million followers who are really mm-hmm. actively engaged in, in what you know the messaging is and everything, and there's all these really cute little illustrations of things that like aren't as confronting as perhaps seeing an actual vagina like sketched out in a little you know (laughs) illustration but there's all these little cute things like it's hard to explain you just go and have a look though the way that it tackles issues that even women kind of find quite confronting at the beginning but in a more gentle aesthetic and cute way to kind of Ease the the education in gently has is just really it stands out so much because it's incredibly hard to do. Like I find it difficult to market a product that's not controversial in any way. It's green tea. Like imagine you know yeah. the challenge that you're facing with it being so shocking to to so many people, including the people who go through a period once a month.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's um it's fun. I, I find that from a creative as a creative person, greatest challenge of them all is to really figure out how to get people to shift their behavior. Like what is, what is the, what can, what is going to speak to you so personally that you're willing to um, feel safe enough to try something different and new or feel inspired enough to try something new and different, feel called to do something that you haven't done ever in your whole life like, you know, potentially, you know, bleed into your underwear or use a bidet, you know, which is my newest company, Tushy, which I'm happy to talk about.
1: Yes. So then the next incredibly innovative um, and yet another huge disruptor in an industry that is, again, not super glamorous and I imagine a huge challenge to make, you know, to break down those taboos again is Tushy. So tell us about that.
0: Yeah. So um, if you think about, you know, right now we're talking on over – wi-fi and we're you know we're we're on our computers you know like kind of far away from each other and yet we have our phones (laughs) and we have access to all this high-tech stuff and yet the minute we step into our bathrooms, poof, we're back in the 1800s. You know? <laughs> and it's it's such an interesting thing that we've just completely accepted the fact that using dry paper to wipe the dirtiest part of our body is acceptable. And and the only reason why we find that acceptable is because we've just been doing it for generations since the late 1800s. And but when you when you actually think about it, like, would you ever jump into your shower, not turn the water on, and just use dry paper to wipe down your like dirtiest bits and be like, I'm clean? You'd know? <laughs> be like, you're crazy. You know, or if you went to your dishes and people were like, you know, instead of using water, you just take dry toilet paper and like wipe your dishes down. That you just cut a raw chicken on and you put your dish away. People would be like, uh, I think your think your dish is dirty. You know, and I think <laughs> it's the same thing if a bird pooped on you. Like, would you just take a dry piece of paper and wipe it off? You know, smearing more poop around, or would you actually wash it off? And I think the answer, I hope, is wash it off. in all counts and. You know, it's just such deep indoctrination. Like we've been deeply indoctrinated to believe through marketing, through millions and millions, now billions of dollars of marketing, that this toilet paper thing is properly cleaning us, and it's not. It's only causing. It's what what it's doing is causing thirty million combined cases of chronic urinary tract infections, hemorrhoids, anal fissures, anal itching for women. You know, like all that infection disease. That, you know, um, that you are sitting on all day long goes into your your vaginal walls and your vaginal canal, which. What, which is what causes UTIs and, and things like that, uh, bacterial vaginosis, all those things. Um, just keeping yourself clean down there is just, it's just like so obvious for all humans. And so I think that you know, when you think about also the environment, like right now 15 million trees are being killed every single year just for toilet paper consumption. You know, 15 million trees you know, are being flushed down the toilet. The entire Canadian boreal forest is being decimated just to be flushed down the toilet. And it's just not a realistic, sustainable thing that will last, you know, for very much longer. And so, I think from a health and hygiene perspective, from an environmental perspective, from a monetary and pocketbook perspective, like right now, people are spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars a year on toilet paper, whereas a Tushy bidet is only sixty nine dollars, and in three months you're paid back, and you don't have to think about you know, using so much toilet paper over and over again. You know, we, we offer organic bamboo toilet paper on subscription where you, it's tree-free toilet paper. We also have organic bamboo butt towels, you know, <laughs> going to the bathroom, washing yourself properly. You just towel dry, just like you would after a shower. And so, um, so we have different options that don't kill trees, that don't hurt your pocketbook. You know, you save 80% of your money by using 80% less toilet paper per use. And it's just the most game changing, like obvious dot thing you can get for, like I said, only $69 and it's just, it's a no brainer. So I'm super excited about it because you know, the, the market is massive and it's been proven globally. It's been proven in Asia. It's been proven in many parts of Europe. It's been proven in the Middle East. It's been proven in many parts of South America. And the only reason why it hasn't been brought to America is cultural one of the reasons why is because a French person invented the bidet, you know, and the English hated the French. And so the English were like, we don't support the bidet, you know. And <laughs> and then the second reason is during World War II, when American soldiers went to fight in Europe, they would basically see bidets in French brothels. When they would go to French brothels, the American soldiers would go there. And they would see these bidets and they would just be like, uh so when they came back to America, they were like, We were never in brothels. We think bidets are gross. Yeah, we were never in brothels. We don't know, we don't like this. <laughs> and they just sort of like shun the bidet and because they basically they they basically matched it to they related to something sexual. And we live in a very puritanical America at the time, especially, and it was just frowned upon. And so they 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 basically shunned the bidet, but they imported pizza, you know, like the American soldiers went to Southern Italy and they, they discovered this poor man's food called pizza, um, where the Southern Italian, you know, workers would basically flatten this, this bread and use it to test the temperature of ovens. And rather than throwing this dough away, they would just put sauce and some pieces of mozzarella on it and they would turn it into this food and the people just fell in love with it. And American soldiers went, fell in love with that this poor man's food and then came back to America and that's when Pizza Hut and Domino's and all these big companies built were built. So they, they basically built the pizza industry and then they shunned the bidet. <laughs> it's
1: just so interesting because, like, I, I mean, I don't think of myself as, like, someone whose head's kind of stuck back in the 1800s at all. I, I love to think in an innovative way and I, I love disruptive, you know, creations in the market and I still – didn't even think about it that way until you just said it just now like it makes mm. so much sense everything that you're saying and it's crazy how much we st- get, like get stuck in our ways in tradition and convention and just don't even stop to rethink things that are just there because they're there like that it's just it takes a brain like yours to really bring something that's so that is you say it's so obvious but yet somehow we've all just forgotten mm. and I just yes, it's so fascinating to think that I'm so I'm so glad that there are people like you out there who go and make a business of it because that's amazing. I mean, and the bidets can attach to any toilet, right? So it's not like some huge feat of installing something in your house. You can actually apply it to sort of anywhere, right? Yeah,
0: it takes 10 minutes to install. There's no plumbing, no electrical required. It's like a beautiful, modern-looking bidet that easily clips onto your toilet, and in 10 minutes you have a bidet. And it's not pulling the water from your tank or the bowl. It's pulling it from the wall, the same water you brush your teeth with. And so it's like the cleanest, most precise, like shower, fresh, clean, just but for your butt. <laughs> and it's absolutely game-changing. And we actually just launched a travel bidet. Um, it's called oh Tushy Travel. Gosh. And so you can just take it with you. And it's like this little collapsible water bottle kind of a thing that you just, you kind of like uncollapse it. You fill it with water and it has the right spout that has the right pressure I can spray water in the right angle to your butt. And if you go to my Instagram story right now, actually, you can see the video <laughs> using it in the airport. <laughs> yeah. So that it's, it's been such an exciting thing. We've been tripling, you know, doubling and tripling this year. We plan on tripling our business. We doubled our business the last two years. Oh we plan gosh. on tripling our business this year. So it's been, it's been very, very promising.
1: So, oh my gosh, I, I could talk to you for hours and hours about this. This is so interesting. But if for anyone out there who wants to hear more of, you know, the detail of of Mickey's story up to this point, uh, she has two incredible books. One is Do Cool Shit, and the next, which is more recent, is Disrupt Her, which is the perfect example and title for your life because you are such a disruptor and such a and like a role model, I think, for anyone who thinks a bit differently to just go out and do things that change the world and not kind of overthink it or or hesitate. And it's been recognised by, like, you've been the bestseller on Amazon. Um, I think the founder and CEO of Whole Foods has even written, like, this glowing review on Disrupt Her. So in that climate, and I'll include links in the show notes to both of those books, as I'm sure you'll have a lot of avid readers after this episode. But just before we move on to the next segment, with all of that going on, do you feel successful? Like, do you feel, do you see the impact that you're having? And do do you feel successful? Because I think another thing that affects our fulfillment and happiness a lot is our own definition of success and how that compares to kind of society.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, success is just, um, you know, following your lit path and and really doing that, which lights you up. And I think I'm really, I really am on that path and I feel very, very lucky to be, you know, doing what I'm doing, which is, you know, coming up and inventing products that I really care about that both, you know, serve and support, you know, humans and also serve and support the planet. And so I think that um, I really, I really do feel very grateful. And I, and I do, I think success is just living in a space of gratitude for what you're you know, what you're doing. And I think that's, that's where, that's where I'm at for sure.
1: Uh, I love hearing that because there are so many people out there who, and it's not a bad thing at all. It's just different. There are so many people out there who I think are incredibly successful and who are generally like quite objectively successful, who are very much like, I'm not there yet. And I think it's, it's a shame to kind of not enjoy when you have reached a point where you are really having such an impact on other people and being able to live your passion and make a difference with that. So Mm. I love hearing that. Mm -hmm. So the next segment is called Natia which is all the shit bits behind the scenes that people often don't see in the kind of seamless social media personas that we put out there. Um, And that's so natural. Like, of course, we're not going to share our deepest, darkest moments because that's just not when you feel like sharing stuff. Yeah. But I think it's important just to show, you know, all the crap that goes on a founder's journey or anyone really, anyone's Mm. journey has always got the challenge that helps you become, you know, who you are. So. One of the biggest themes for this podcast is self-doubt. I think it's probably one of the most crippling things that faces people who are doing something a little bit different, um, particularly when it involves chasing their yay in a way that maybe isn't what society would think is the sensible decision or what's traditional. And I, I definitely, you don't go with the grain. So has that been a factor for you, you know, going into areas um, and industries where you haven't manufactured before or haven't done product before and then also in an area that is quite controversial have you felt that kind of self-doubt
0: yeah of course absolutely and i you know i talk about in my when i give talks i i I actually opened with this thought at the even at the business chicks event here in in australia i talked about how you know fearlessness to me is in the absence of fear but it's taking action in the face of fear and i think that it's it's you know when you're stepping into the unknown it's like a trust fall right you it's like you're you know, you're, 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 you're falling backwards and you're hoping to get caught, you know, and trust that, that you will. And, and if you don't, then you'll just keep falling. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that it's, it's just part of it. And I think, you know, there's, there's this amazing infographic that talks about like, this is where, you know, your, your comfort zone and on one, on one side and on the other side says where the magic happens. And you're just like, if you're staying inside your safe comfort zone, That's, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's one way to live. But I think that, I think we all want to experience magic. And the only way to do that is if you step out of your comfort zone into a space of the unknown and what, what comes with that is self-doubt, of course. And I think when you have that, you grow from it. When you have self-doubt, when you, when you're questioning yourself and you're questioning your abilities when you're questioning everything, like the more you question, the more you grow. And I think that there, it's so, it's such a hugely important thing um, to to it's a rite of passage. I think is to it's to go through something where you do doubt yourself. Because if you don't, then you're just an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> totally. You know what I mean? You're just like, ugh that person. Ugh. So yeah, like, totally. Pretend like they have no self doubt, but then like they're the most insecure on the inside, and you're just like, ugh you know, I just can't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd rather, I'd rather be just like, yep, that's scary. I just pee myself a little bit. Not a big deal. (laughs) But I've got
1: a A, so I'm going to be so clean later. So it's fine. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. (laughs) I think self-doubt is critical in in, in self-growth.
1: And what, do you have any tips for, you know, people who do struggle with that when they're facing something new or challenging? What kind of helps ground you in those moments or just helps you push through?
0: Yeah, for sure. So in my book, Disrupt Her, I talk about, how to practice becoming the warrior gatekeeper of your mind. And um, and what that means is that, you know, we have, we're all human beings, human beings, like we have, you know, doubtful, what's a girl, Daria. We have doubtful Daria. We have, you know, we have mean Margie. We've got, you know, judgy Judy. We have all these people that come (laughs) to our mental gate, you know, and we either let them in into our mental gate and allow that judgment or that meanness or that, sort of you know doubting person get into your brain and then overcome you or you you catch that thought before it enters your brain and it becomes like a really fun sort of flexing of that muscle it's like going to the gym for your brain and just being like oh nope not letting you in not letting that thought in not like oh i just had a judgmental thought oh i just and you're just you're like there's judgy judy again oh there's <laughs> margie again oh you know there's doubtful daria again like and you just kind of like you kind of name them, you catch them and then you name them and then you file them away and you say, you know what, like I'm going to have this conversation with doubtful Daria on Tuesday at 11 a.m. with my coach. And yeah. so I can really unpack what, what I'm doubting and why. But until then, I'm going to like really allow the space in my mind to be clear and spacious so that I can really allow creativity, allow... Forward motion and what I want to do with my life allow purpose, allow positivity to to enter my space because it's so easy for us to let negative shit in our brain. Because there's like this weird thing where it's like if you're feeling insecure about yourself, you kind of like want to hate on others and judge others and be mean to others. I we all find ourselves doing that. I'm not. I'm not. You know, like you know, not. I don't not do that sometimes too. And I catch it. I'm like, oh, there's a mean margin coming out. what's what's going on inside of me to like mm. make what, what what can I work through? I call my coach and I'm like, man, like. That I felt like this came up like let's unpack that and and the more you catch it the more you can really become the warrior gatekeeper of your mind and you can allow for the thoughts to come in and out of your brain and that is pure that's blissful when you can start to really do that and and I talk about how like if you're mumbling to yourself my coach talks to me about this all the time if you're mumbling to yourself more than three times about the same thing then bring it up to your coach or to your therapist or to someone that you really confide in mm-hmm. you know it's like a three-strike Rule, you know, it's like oh, if your mom mumbling about something, <laughs> if you're doubting yourself three times in the same thing, you know, then you need to through it with somebody with you holding your hand. Um, I think everyone should have a coach or should have a, some kind of someone, you know, with with experience um, helping guide you. I, I think it's an it's absolutely one of the most important things that changed my life. If you go to my Instagram at Nikki Agrawal, you can actually see I, I wrote a whole post about my coach and how she has just like. Help me face myself over and over and over again, all the sides of me, all the painful sides, all the good sides, all of the, every side and, and really, and really work through all the shit, you know, mm. and I think we all have shit to work through and that's okay. And it's about not being too proud or too, I don't need a coach. Oh yeah, no. What do you mean? I'm perfect. I'm great. I'm working on my own. Like <laughs> there be people where I like that. and You're just like, I don't, I don't think you really understand the magic of it because it's someone that's helping you be the best version of you. Don't you want that? Like, Mm. and so I, I, I'm also very careful about what, you know, I was also very careful about which coach I chose. You know, I actually went, stayed at her home for the weekend and watched her, her, her family engage her children and and her husband and the relationship and her friends and her community. And I just looked at everything in her life and and she had an epic life, an epic, honest, integrous life. And, and I was like, all right, you're it. And she's, absolutely shifted so much in my life so
1: oh it's amazing i have a um, psychologist who's also an executive coach who i see once a week if not once a fortnight for an hour and it's extraordinarily expensive and a really big amount of like energy investment and time to do that but absolutely there's not really anything that gives you the same returns i don't think i don't think anyone whose brain operates at a really crazy level can can continue that and sustain it without someone objective to kind of it's uh, the way I think of it is you take everything out of your brain and put it on a table and someone experienced helps you organize it all and then put it back in. And it's like you can't do that by yourself. Yeah. You need a third party to kind of help you with that objective observation and it's extraordinary what happens yeah. when you do give your brain the time to kind of figure everything out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what about when the, you know, the negative talk is not necessarily coming from inside your own brain, which is challenging enough, but when it is coming from the public? Like the haters. People really resist change. I think we love what's comfortable and familiar. So when there's someone who's disruptive and empowering and empowered in their disruption and that you're so passionate about what you're doing, that you're comfortable with, you know, what, you, what work you're doing and in the areas you're doing it. Yeah. And I mean, Thinks ads were almost banned, I think, from the subway. It like how, there, yeah. how do you deal with that? And still trust that what you're doing is worthy of pushing through those kind of haters, and not taking it personally as well.
0: Yeah, I mean it's hard at first because we're human beings with feelings, and I think people forget that sometimes. And they, they, as soon as you're like in the public domain, you become an object that people can just talk about without without thinking that there are feelings behind them. And I think. You know, for so many people, I've watched so many autobiographies of people who've been, you know, on the receiving end of such haters and and, and also love, so much love, too. I mean, you look at all these celebrities, you know, who've, who've just gone to drugs and who have just ended up dead, you know. And I think that when they can't get past that, they don't have enough of a community and support system internally that really, really have your back. Um, it, it can get really, really hard to... Um, to emotionally get through it, and um, and I think that for me, you know, having gone through, you know, several, I mean, several challenging times in the media myself, you know, initially I, I just cried a lot. I was just like, wow, this is really hard, this is really painful. Mm-hmm. Like, and then, you know, I kept I, my coach kept saying, "What's the name of your book again?" And I'm like, "Disrupt her." <laughs> <And she's> like, <laughs> exactly. So you know, you're you're on the right track. Like you're not, you know, you're not disrupting anything if, if everyone just like peaches and cream, like. You know, you're if you're if you're ruffling feathers, which is what you're doing in society, then you're on the right track, and it's 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 going to be a great thing in the end. And you know, it always is. Like you know, the painful times always lead to the most epic times. And I've you know, I've I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. You know, I've gone through you know the absolute emotional roller coaster of of, of going through the feelings of of someone you know calling me names, and then I've gone through the feeling of being empowered by it, being like, wow, I'm on the right track. And I've gone through the feeling of just being emotionless about it, being like, oh, you know, haters going to hate. They don't know me. That's okay. You know, and, and I hope they're okay. <laughs> you know, and you kind of just sort of yeah. you know, throw them empathy on, on your side because that's really what, what's going to happen to heal the world. Because the moment, the moment you start retaliating is when, you know, it's just, it's like. It's like ISIS fighting ISIS. You know, it's just like why would yeah? You why would you add fuel to the fire? Why you like... Add fuel to the fire. You just you know you 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 heal you heal hate through love, and I know that's that's very very hard to do, and it's hard to especially when you're when you're in it but but then you get through it and you're you're stronger for it
1: yeah and I think you build a thicker skin over time and and the more passionate you are about what you're doing the less you tend to care as time goes by whether the people who aren't your target market anyway
0: yeah and I think also like really building your community is so important when you're Mm. when you when you want to start anything I mean like you know when I started my businesses um, I, I, I really spent really serious amounts of time building my community and showing up for them, supporting them, you know, being there for them, them being there for me. Like we really create a tight group. And so when I was hit with these like tough stuff, like I would just get so much love for my friends and community that it just was like, Oh, who cares? You know, just smut, you know? Yeah. So, yeah.
1: So that then kind of raises another area that I think is quite challenging is when you do then create a beautiful community that will support you and that you're nurturing and who are on board with the journey is that then you can feel quite obliged to be there for them all the time and then not necessarily there for yourself and I think when particularly at the beginning of a business when it is really crucial to kind of put everything that you've got into it I found when we first started our businesses and then we added matcha milk about, you know, the cafe to the tea business, I was giving 150% of myself to the community because it was so rewarding. Mm -hmm. But then that productivity pressure meant that I would feel too guilty to kind of ever take a break when I needed it. Have you ever found that burnout or that productivity pressure, particularly now we are connected with our phones and stuff all the time across the world and people are so, you know, hungry for Your wisdom and speaking gigs, and you know, there's so many things going on. Do you get exhausted from it all? Yeah,
0: I mean, I think that's that's exactly it. My health is an absolute indicator, and I have a very sensitive thyroid. and It took me, I was, I had a very hyperactive thyroid, and I had to take like thyroid medication. And the thyroid doctor was like, "You have to take your thyroid out." (laughs) At which point, I would have had to take. Four pills a day for the rest of my life, which of course (sighs) feeds the pharmaceutical industry. It only feeds. So I was like, no, not doing that. And I spent the next two years on a healing journey, healing myself. And I spent, I completely healed myself. And then I got pregnant immediately when I wanted to get pregnant. And so it was just sort of like, yeah, my body, my body was burnt out. You know, even if my mind could keep going, uh, my body was definitely in a in a state of you know adrenal fatigue for sure. And so um, now I get a massage every single week for 90 minutes. Um, I meditate almost every single day. I, you know, really make, make time for my kid. Um, I make time to go to the gym at least, you know, three, four days a week, if not more, if not every do something active every day and really give myself the space. You know, I, I mm. you know, I, I mostly work from home, so I give myself. The space to be with my kid who's under two, and you know, be online, but all and be on the phone, and have in-person meetings once a week, but um, get to really create the space exactly that I want, so that I'm not dealing with so many different emotions around me constantly because I'm an empath Mm. and I take on people's emotions, and if someone's having a tough day or is frazzled, (laughs) it affects me, you know. And so I, I had to learn exactly the sort of setting that makes sense for me and for my body and for my adrenal system, for my thyroid, for my. Whole body, where I'm not being so hyperactive at all times. Yeah. So it just, you know, it's it's just setting yourself up to succeed, and your body, and your space, and your time, like all of it is a very calculated thought process.
1: Absolutely, I think everyone
0: should be thinking about.
1: Yeah. That actually is so funny. You just kind of answered the next six questions that I had <laughs> really well. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm conscious of your time. So I'll just run through the next section really quickly, which is Play TA. And it's my favorite section because even just for this one question, it's the section where I think we – you get to separate the person from who they are in their work identity or their productive identity. And I feel like in our society, we are really caught up in being girl bosses and achieving and making an impact and changing and um, innovating and don't leave a lot of time for ourselves and spend a really long time in burnout mode before we actually realize what environment we need to create to kind of manage that energy and I find, you know, my body does burn out, but my mind burns out quicker than my body does because of all the stimulation. So this is where I I kind of ask people who they are when they're not being Mother Mickey or, you know, CEO Mickey or Speaker Mickey or Online Mickey. Like, what are the things that you do if you do anything that is just for fun, that doesn't have an output or a learning outcome or you know any productive kind of outcome what just what is what does light you up is it you know time with your child is it tv is it books do you have any hobbies
0: yeah i mean i'm reading i i I definitely have a book or two that i'm reading at all times um i'm i definitely take (laughs) baths i um, I just I just love massages, and I just think they really really help my body de stress. Acupuncture once you know month or so, I'd like to do it more often. Uh, and yeah, going to you know watching movies, I love doing that. And then just spending time with my friends, you know, just really hanging out, like just hanging out with my friends, and getting dinner and talking and hanging out, like not 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 about work, or just mm. about like just, just life. Yeah. You
1: know. And what about you and Andrew? Do you guys have date nights?
0: Oh yeah, we definitely we have like two we try to do two date nights a week, you know. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and then we also do like, you know, at least two intimate moments a week where we have like intimate connecting time twice a week. Uh, we <laughs> have like a, we have a we have like a in, in my book disruptor I talk about, the love contract that Andrew and I created with my coach and how, you know, how do you keep, you know, a relationship really exciting when both of us are entrepreneurs. Both of us are in a very busy lives. Both are interested in so many things, and it's really about you know making sure that we pay attention to the small things. And we have you know we 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 do four compliments per day. Wow. You know where he, you know, we do like so four compliments like oh I really love what you look really really hot in that oh my god your butt looks great in that oh wow <laughs> I really like your wow like your chest looks amazing whatever you know it's like we really make each other feel sexy and cool, and then um, there's four compliments a day and then like twice a week no question we you know like have sexy time like connecting intimate time and that's super super you know it's like uh it's you know we we do not compromise that that's um, awesome
1: I love that yeah. I think most couples probably don't even address that as like an issue you know what I no. mean like I don't think they even
0: yeah, we both signed off on a love contract we also yeah, we also have a no phones in the bedroom rule where our phones are on airplane mode before we enter the bedroom. We have to leave them outside charging, you know, on airplane mode so that when we enter the bedroom, it's really like a space for us to like really be together. You know, we can read, but then, you know, then we can also just talk and connect and pillow talk and, and then fall asleep, you know? And I think that's really, really important to stay connected and to stay sexy and to stay, you know, really like feeling like no one's taking each other for granted and Mm. it's a really it's very very important to us
1: oh that's amazing and then what about hero what about being a mom having a little boy
0: yeah yeah I think um you know with hero he's just joy he's so happy and I think you know I talk in my book disruptor my my, I, I dedicate the book to him where I say you know hero I promise never never lose myself for you because the more me I can be the more I can inspire you to be you, and that's super important. Is that like the more he sees me in my power, in my in my happy place, like doing creative things, the more he's happy. Like what he feels, he feels my my energy, and so when when I'm feeling sad or down, like he feels it, he cries more. And so I'm ninety nine percent of the time like joyful because I'm just you know living my purpose. And there's that, you know, maybe not ninety nine percent, but like a big gigantic. <laughs> You know, I'm living my purpose. I'm really, really, you know, really like fulfilling my purpose, and and that and that includes the tough stuff. You know, that includes going through the the arguments and the challenges and the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. But I'm still living my purpose. Like living your purpose, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that it's going to be all ice cream and, and cupcakes. It's it's really it really means you're living your purpose. Like that's mm. that's what that means. And so I think you know, and and both Andrew and I work from home most most of the time. And so, and he, when he comes down for, you know, to the main floor um, for, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, like we're there, we get to like play with him, you know, throughout the day, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, I read him a bunch of books, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour before he goes to sleep, an hour, you know, go to take him to the library across the street from us. Like when we moved into our new house, we didn't realize there was a library directly across the street from us. And so we get to like run across the library in between calls or meetings and and spend some time with him and then run back and it's just, it's a really, really, I think, balanced experience. And I, and I did not have that in my, you know, twenties and most of my thirties, you know, I'm, i I just turned 40. Oh my so gosh, I you think, look
1: amazing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that, that, you know, it's like, you, you know, I get to really dictate what my life looks like because I've, I've spent my twenties and thirties really just you know, I'm just like breaking my back. Mm. You know, pushing a, a, a you know gigantic rock up a mountain. So, yeah. but I think everyone can do that. I think everyone can make can create the life that they want if they so choose. If they so choose, really, mm. truly, genuinely.
1: Absolutely, I think so too. That's that's kind of what I wanted this podcast to be. It was an instigator for people to realize the control they have over their their joy and mm. their path, and then not just to realize it, but because I think a lot of people don't. But then to actually kind of be inspired and and realize to push through that self-doubt to actually take that control and do something with it because it's one thing to realize and another to actually do, you know, make a change for your own enjoyment of your life. It's quite empowering, but I think it's novel to more people than would be ideal. So (laughs) it's so good to hear you say that. I think people will take a lot out of this. And, you've yeah, you've been absolutely amazing. So just to finish up, what are the three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in interviews?
0: Um, Andrew, what did you say? What's that? Three interesting things that don't usually come up in interviews about me.
1: This is cute. It's like the newlyweds game.
0: What's her karaoke song? Ooh, oh. that's a good one. What's my karaoke song? Oh, my car- okay, my karaoke song is the is Free Willy song.
1: But <laughs> <no>. <laughs> that's
0: amazing. See, this is the
1: when the funnest stuff comes up.
0: <laughs> yeah. oh, what is she afraid of? What am I afraid of? Oh, I'm afraid of scuba diving. I found that out. <laughs> Ooh, and sharks! I hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, definitely, I definitely got very scared of scuba diving because I was like, the whole breathing out of this one little apparatus out of your mouth and then sinking down. I just was like, I don't. I'm not cool with this. So, if I could do that, I did it twice before, but I just couldn't wrap my head around it this time. And I just, I just like, I, I got in the water. I passed the two tests. And then as, as I was sinking down, I was like, nope, I'm going back up and I'm, <laughs> yeah. So Fair yeah, enough. Was, it freaks me out. Yeah, I was very, it was not. <laughs> it was, but you know what? I felt really empowered to like say no, you know, because I usually am like powered through it. Like fearlessness I talk about is like, you know, like I said, is, is not the absence of fear, but but taking action in the face of fear. But I think taking action in the face of fear could also being like could mean saying, nope, I don't feel safe. I don't feel good. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the yeah, and and that's 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 requires a level of fearlessness too you know to absolutely say I'm not going to do something totally
1: yeah well done yeah (laughs) and then the I won't make you think of a third one I think everyone should go and read your book because I'm sure there are lots of nuggets in there that people don't know about you (laughs) but the very last question since I love motivational quotes so much is what is your favorite quote
0: um my favorite quote is I guess it's the it Abe Lincoln that said the it's not the it's not the critic who counts was it Abe Lincoln babe what? it's not the critic who counts or is that no, yeah yeah Ted Roosevelt <laughs> yeah he said it's not the critic who counts you know it's basically not the person who's on the sidelines just basically man, man, man. yeah it's called yeah man in the arena but it's really the person who's in the arena whose face is marred okay. by blood and sweat and tears like that That is what it's all about. It's not about about the critic. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. To the woman who's actually in the arena.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice change. I like it.
0: Yeah, I think that's I, – I mean, it's in, yeah, it's in my book too. I, I think it's a really, really important quote. It's like it's really about the person who's in the arena, the person who's taking action, the person who's going for it, the person who is actualizing on their dreams, the person who's putting one foot in front of the other every single day. And I think that's, that's the most important thing. That's the most motivating thing for me to see. Absolutely.
1: Well, thank you so, so much for your time. And squeezing me in before you fly back home tomorrow, Absolutely. you are – just such an incredibly inspiring amazing disruptive innovative human and I, it's been such an honor to talk to you um so thank you so much for your time
0: yay and if you want to yeah check out my stuff you could just follow me on instagram at Agarwal, and then or check out my projects at mickeyagrawal.com absolutely um, and definitely get a tushy hello tushy.com yes not, go to <laughs>
1: I will pop the proper link in the show notes so that there there are no awkward pornographic (laughs) moments for anyone on the computers. Ah, I re-listened to this while editing as we'd recorded it quite a few weeks ago and I fell in love with her all over again. There's just something so bold and exciting about Mickey and I'm so grateful to have had her share her wisdom on the show. Very big thank you to Business Chicks for the connection. If you aren't already on board the Business Chicks train, you are absolutely missing out. Mickey was part of the incredible lineup at Nine to Thrive in Sydney recently. And while sadly she won't be back in Australia for the next one, Nine to Thrive is coming to Melbourne on the 25th of November and tickets sell fast. So get in early. They're available now at businesschicks.com. And we may or may not have some guests who will be on the Melbourne lineup coming up soon. There's a lot more exciting stuff coming up too with Business Chicks. So stay tuned. I'll pop a link in the show notes as well to Mickey's website, all her books and businesses, so you can find out more. It is seriously such a pleasure to be able to connect with so many yay types around the world. Thank you all for making it possible. As always, please screenshot and share this episode right now, do it now, tagging myself and at Mickey Agrawal so we can see what you thought and reshare it for you because it brings us so much joy. Seize the Yay has its own page, if you haven't already seen, at seize underscore the underscore yay. And the Facebook group is coming soon as uh, we did a little poll on Instagram and it turns out you guys wouldn't mind one. So I hope you are all having an amazing day and are seizing your yay.